This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. Romans chapter 2, verses 25 through 29. For circumcision, indeed, is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is, sorry, then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you uh, who have written, written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So we approach the word. I'm just going to pray for us this morning. God, we are grateful for you. We are grateful for the truth of your word. I'm grateful that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us through your word and that we have the ability to know you and to grow into your image as we behold you. And so as we seek to see you and see who you are and how you interact with the world in your word this morning, I pray that you would help us be students who sit under the word. Help us be a people who has put the word as the authority over our lives and that we seek to live out that which is contained in it because you have written it to us because you love us and desire for us to live a life that is in fullness of joy. And that comes most when we walk in step with your word. God, I pray that uh, as I seek to communicate your word, that I would communicate the truth that you have revealed as you have revealed it, that it would be faithful and accurate to the text, that you would recall to mind the study that I have done this week to be able to accurately apply the truth of your word to the lives of the people here. But God, I'm, I'm fully aware it's not a preacher I have no power here, but it is your spirit who will come and move and work. And you have promised that when your word goes forth, it will not return void. And so I'm trusting you for that this morning, praying that your spirit would come and move and work in the hearts of your people in this room. Change us, grow us, make us more like Jesus because of the power of your word. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. So uh, I love to play games. Well, most of the time I love to play games. So have you ever played a game with someone when they change a rule of the game that literally just ruins the entire game? (laughs) Jaden has a very passionate story about this. I do as well, Jaden. So I have a niece who loves Uno. But she has made the rules of Uno terrible. She requires that when you can't play, you have to keep drawing cards until you can play a card. Do you have any earthly idea how long that makes a simple game of Uno take? I do. It is awful. The creators of Uno would be appalled at how she has changed their game. It's literally terrible. I mean, someone painstakingly created the rules of Uno to make it function so that it wouldn't take an hour and a half to play one hand of Uno. 
<laughs> as we look at Romans this morning, this is kind of what Paul is going to help us say, not about Uno, but he's going to say that you guys have taken this thing that God made. You have taken this thing that he has created to be a sign, to be what he meant it to be, and you have misunderstood it. You have misdirected it. You have redefined it, redefined it, and it has lost its intended meaning. Paul's going to, to show us, show his readers this, as we look at the text this morning that they have been fundamentally misunderstanding circumcision. They have made it this outward-only sign when it was always meant to reference something that was an internal reality of their hearts. So as we look at the text this morning, I want to just build a sentence together this morning to help us kind of understand what Paul is doing here. So the first part of the sentence is this, how I live matters, how I live matters. Matters. I want your eyes to fall back on Romans chapter 2, verse 25, and I'm going to just read for us 25 through 27 again. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. And you're all like, what in the world? Why does that even matter? Because uh, on the surface, this argument is really confusing and it's kind of hard to understand why it's even here in the book of Romans. I wrestled with this text quite a bit this week in thinking and studying and trying to say, why does God have this text here? So why does he have this text here? Well, let, let's look back at Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. Why is circumcision that big of a deal? Genesis chapter 17, flip over there. We're going to start in verse 9. It says this, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and as shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old must um, among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. So, it was a big deal. Why was circumcision a big deal? It was a big deal because it evidenced, it was an outward sign of who the people of God were. God said, I want you to do it this way because I want you to be a distinct people. I want people to know that you are distinct. So there's value here because this is how God has said, I want my people to be known. 
But why does Paul go through all of this other? Well, then circumcision can be uncircumcision and uncircumcision can be circumcision. Well, and then there's these people who might be judging. Why, why does all that, all that exist? What's the point of all of that? The point is simple. Let me just state it simply for you. What saves us is not a sign. What saves us is not circumcision. Circumcision alone doesn't save. The law doesn't save. But the way that we live does evidence something. This has been Paul's argument for quite a while, actually, right? So he's been working through this whole idea through all most of chapter one, all of chapter two to this point. In fact, it connects back directly to verses 23 and 24 that Jamie preached last week. Let your eyes fall there in Romans two. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You dishonor God by breaking the law. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Look, you can be circumcised, Paul is saying. You can have this outward sign, but if you aren't evidencing that sign in other ways, it does you no good. The inward reality of your heart will play out in outward obedience. Let me say that again. The inward reality of your heart will play out in outward obedience. Circumcision can be uncircumcision. Uncircumcision can be circumcision. The sign doesn't save you. The sign doesn't evidence your inward reality like obedience does. This is Paul's point. Th think of it like this. I have this ring on my finger, okay? What does this ring evidence? That I'm married to my wife, Angela. This is what the ring evidences. But what if I wear this ring every single day? And I go through life, I, I wear this ring, I wear it proudly, but then I never seek to love Angela like Christ loved the church. I go around and I have adulterous relationships and I, I do all of these things that would be terrible to my wife. How much does this really mean to her? It doesn't mean anything. But, but say the inverse is true. Say that when we got married, we didn't have enough money to buy rings, but I seek to live out my covenant relationship with her. I seek to love her. I seek to learn who she is. I, I seek all of those things, and I seek to be a godly and loving husband, but I don't have a ring on my finger. Which scenario do you think Angela would prefer? The second, right? Where I don't have an outward sign but there is an inward reality of my heart that is playing itself out in obedience. This is what Paul is talking about here. It's uncircumcision versus circumcision. It doesn't matter about the outward sign. It matters what is happening in your heart that is flowing out into obedience. That's his whole point in these three verses. It's what Paul's saying. Your ring, your outward sign of circumcision, it doesn't matter if you're not living it out. Circumcision has value, as verse 25 says, if you understand its significance, if you understand what it is representing. If you seek to live out the faith that God has given you, that you are God's chosen people, if you are excited about the Lord and seeking to have a relationship with him, circumcision has to be more than just a sign. 
You can't just say you're in the nation of Israel, say I'm in the family of God, but then it's not evidenced in any way. It's not how it works. You can't be circumcised and not care about God, not live to honor and glorify him. Okay, so that's what he's saying here in Romans. Let's bring it into 2023. We have all kinds of signs that we hold on to. You're sitting here in church this morning, right? And for a lot of people, maybe some of you in this room, this is all you do with God all week. You come, you give him an hour, hour and a half on a Sunday morning, and then you live the rest of your week like he doesn't exist. Much of the world interacts that way. It's, their, it's the sign. Oh, do you know Jesus? Oh, yeah, yeah. I go to Redemption Bible Church. Oh, yeah, I go, I go to such and such church. Do you know Jesus? Oh, yeah, I was baptized when I was seven. Do you know Jesus? Oh, oh yeah, I'm conservative. Do you know Jesus? Yeah, I, I send my kids to Christian school or I homeschool my kids. Look, church, none of these things matter if they're just an outward sign for the world to see something. If you homeschool your kids all week long but treat them like garbage behind the scenes, maybe homeschooling is just an outward circumcision, not an inward reality. If you go to church every week, but you completely ignore what the Bible has to say about how you live the rest of the week, maybe church attendance is your circumcision. Only an outward sign. Look, for the record, I'm glad you come to church. God calls us to do that in Hebrews 10. I'm, I'm glad if you were baptized. It's biblical obedience to get baptized as a believer. I'm thrilled if you vote based on biblical values. I'm thrilled if you're seeking to use biblical wisdom and discernment to school your kids. All of those things are good things, but church, not one of those things is enough. Those can be steps of obedience but if you're holding on to any one of those as your sign of salvation, you are missing the point. If you're holding on to them to say, this is my sign that I'm okay with God, it's not enough. Yes, how you live matters. Paul's been making that point over and over and over, but it matters because it evidences an inward reality of where you actually place your faith and your hope. We don't start with obedience. We start with the inward reality and it plays out into obedience. How I live matters, but an outward sign doesn't buy me some special place with God. I can do any of those things that I just mentioned for the wrong reasons or I can do them for the right reasons. How I live matters when it draws from the right source. How I live matters when it draws from the right source. Look at verse 28. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. 
Paul is grounding really this entire argument that he has been making for a chapter and a half for over 20 some verses. He's gonna ground this in some concrete truth for us to really put our teeth in to understand what it means. That's what he's doing in these two verses and into the beginning of chapter three even. And for many of you, you've been in this wrestle for weeks, okay? So we've been in chapter two for weeks and weeks now of sermons. And for many of you, you've been feeling that. You've been wrestling through it. We've had some really good conversations in our small group of people wrestling through how does the law and grace, how does this all work together? And what does that look like and feel like? And for the record, I'm glad for that. I'm glad you're wrestling. I'm glad you're working through that. It's a good thing. So how do the gospel and the law work together? We're gonna press on that a little bit more this morning because in Romans 1, I'll just remind you, Paul tells us the world around us is sinful. We get that, right? Romans 2, you're gonna be judged. Romans 2, a little bit later, you should not live as hypocrites. Jamie just preached that last week. And now we get this, like not even those who are Jews can be considered Jews. We'll really clarify that when we get to Romans 11 eventually. But for now, let's, let's dive into verses 28 and 29 and see what Paul is grounding for us this morning. You see four contrasting statements four contrasting statements in these verses. I'm gonna throw a, a little chart up for you to help you see these four contrasting statements that happen in these two little verses. So you get, not this, not an outward Jew, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, the, the beginning of verse 28. But then if you look at the beginning of verse 29, the contrast, but a Jew is one inwardly, okay? So not outward, not an outward Jew, but an inward Jew. And then we read on in verse 28, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Then jump to 29, circumcision is a matter of the heart. So it's not a circumcision of the flesh, but a circumcision of the heart. And then in verse 29, we see the last two. So by the spirit, not by the law, so, or not by the letter, by it. So not by the letter, but by the spirit. And then the last one, not, his praise is not from man, but from God. So not praise from man, but praise from God. So we see these four things. So let's, let's unpack them together and see what in the world they all mean and why they are here. So let's break it down. The first, not outward, but inward, not outward, but inward. So two Greek words here, outward, that which is exposed to general view or knowledge in the open public notice. So that which is on display for everybody to see, pretty straightforward. Then we have inward, a hidden entity, something hidden, a hidden place. So the things that are happening in secret that nobody sees. So you have outward for everybody to see, that which is inward, which nobody sees, except God. So what's Paul getting at? What makes them a true Jew is not about something that everybody else can see, aka circumcision, but it's about what God sees. In other words, Jews aren't just Jews because of a lineage. Jews are Jews because in the hidden places they love God. And for the record, this has always been the way it has been, okay? Not every descendant of Abraham is saved, 
The law has been in place to point people forward to the sacrifice of Jesus. So they were looking forward to a Messiah. We look backwards at the Messiah, but it was always about Jesus. So just because they could say, hey, my grandfather is Abraham, doesn't mean that they were automatically okay. There was the reality of their heart that had to be there. Tom Schreiner says it this way, Old Testament believers were saved in the same way as New Testament believers in the sense that they placed their faith in God's promise of forgiveness. Salvation has always been by faith, but now the fulfillment of what the Old Testament promised has come. The purpose of the law has always been to bring sinners into relationship with God, always. It's always been about who the Jews were in private, not just outward signs. So think of it like this. So if you were Michael Jordan's son, okay, that doesn't mean that you're going to be an amazing basketball player just because you're Michael Jordan's son. Sure, it places you in a family that knows and understands basketball. You would, under, you would hope and assume that Michael Jordan could probably teach you a thing or two about how to play the game of basketball. But at the end of the day, if you don't want to be a basketball player, if there's no inward reality that I'm going to go and I'm going to practice and I'm going to put in the time and I'm going to put in the effort to become a better basketball player, you're not going to be a good basketball player. And when people see you on the basketball court, they're not going to assume, hey, that's a good basketball player just because Michael Jordan is your father. Who we are in secret matters. The inward of our affection of our hearts, it matters. The main contrast here is the difference between what humans see and what God sees. Do the outward circumstances seem to indicate I should be a a good basketball player or does the inward reality of my heart actually indicate I actually want to be a good basketball player? Or, Or this, do the outward circumstances of my life seem to indicate I should be a Christian or does the inward reality of my heart actually evidence that I love God? We can fake the external church. We all do it. You see, you probably saw 45 memes this week about Thanksgiving and you've got the the mom as the velociraptor trying to get the house ready and then everybody shows up and she's Rex from Toy Story. Hey guys, everybody's, you know, it's, we all do it, right? Like we can look the part, but when the rubber meets the road, where's your hope really? Where's your hope in private? Where are you when no one's watching? Who are you in secret? Church, we need to love God. We need to love God in the way that we live, but more in the reality of our hearts. We need to, I must love God outwardly and inwardly. I must love God outwardly and inwardly. The outward is fueled by the inward. I can't start in one place and expect the other is going to come. I have to actually want to be in a right relationship with the Lord when no one else is watching, when it's just me and him. When the lights are off and my time is spent 
does it really evidence that I love the Lord? Who are you in secret church? It's not outward, but it's inward. It's not a circumcision of the flesh, but a circumcision of the heart. It's not a circumcision of the flesh, but a circumcision of the heart. Circumcision is not just physical, but it is of the heart, is what Paul is saying. The word physical here in the Greek is the Greek word sarx, which is flesh, which Paul uses a whole lot of times in his writing, usually contrasting spirit and flesh. But here he is contrasting what it looks like to just trust in the works of the flesh versus our heart being changed. That's the dichotomy he's getting at, trusting in the works of the flesh versus our heart being changed. And this is not new language to Paul. This is biblical language. This was used all the way back in the law. Let me prove it to you. Deuteronomy chapter 10 says this, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. I could take you to passage after passage. I looked at many of them this week as I I studied. I saw lots of passages in Deuteronomy and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And as I studied them, the theme is this. Don't resist the word of God. Those who do resist the word of God are uncircumcised of hearts. It's the contrast here. Don't just be circumcised in the flesh. Don't let it just be this outward thing. Hear the word of God. Listen to the word of God. Hear God. In other words, the law has always been about pointing our hearts to God. Always. God has always wanted more than outward obedience and head knowledge. He doesn't just want our actions. He doesn't just want our outward signs. It's always been about turning the heart of God's people to God himself. It's why he took the time to reveal the law at all. Because the law reveals to us who he is. It reveals to him how we could know who he is. It reveals to us how we could be in right relationship with the God of the universe. That we would know him, that we could understand him, that we could be in right relationship with him. Always pointing forward to the one who would fulfill the law. Not abolish it. Not do away with it. No, perfectly live it out and fulfill it so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sin because we can't live it out on our own. We're unable to perfectly live out the law. It's always about relationship. It's always about God revealing himself to us. Church, we have to set our hearts on God. It's not just a list of rules and regulations. It's about turning my heart, turning my affections to the God of the universe. I must set my heart on God. It's not circumcision of the flesh, but circumcision of the heart. It's not by the letter, but by the spirit. Not by the letter, but by the spirit. It's literally from verse 29, by the spirit, not by the letter. The fuel for our obedience matters. It is living from the right source. 
It's not living from my own strength. It's not me trying to earn favor with God by a letter-by-letter obedience of the law. We can look at this book and we can say, if I just live, if I just cross all my T's and dot all my I's, that that is somehow going to earn me favor with God. Paul is blowing that up in this argument. Sure, he says your obedience matters. How you live your life matters. But what source you are tapping into matters the most. You can't live the law in your own strength. You have to live the law from the strength of the Spirit. You can't live it in your own strength. It has to be from the Spirit. John Piper said it this way. Without the Spirit, we either reject the law of God out of hand or we change it into something we can manage. And in either case, we lose. And the law condemns us. You can become a transgressor of the law by rejecting it or by trying to keep it in your own strength. Jamie talked about this last week. When we reject it, that's antinomianism. That's when we say, the law doesn't exist. I don't even need to think about it. Why? Jesus came. I don't need to worry about the law. And then there's legalism on this side that says, I'm going to create this list of rules and regulations so that I can put God in this box and I can manage it. Both are errors. Do you know what relying on your own strength leads to? What trying to follow the letter of the law apart from the Spirit leads to? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Trying to live out the law on your own strength, not of the Spirit, what does it lead to? It leads to death. The letter kills. It doesn't bring life. It's like trying to run your car on water. If you put water in your gas tank, how far is it going to go? It's not going to run. It's going to sit there being incapable of doing the very thing that it was created to do. My car needs gas to run. I need the spirit to actually live out the law, to actually walk in obedience to God. So what in the world does that look like? How do I live in the spirit on a day-to-day basis? Because this this verse is directly connected back to an Old Testament promise from Ezekiel 36. Let me show you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. We have the spirit of God living within us to empower us and move us to walk in step with God's word. John Piper said this, walking by the spirit is what we do when the desires produced by the spirit are stronger than the desires produced by the flesh. This means that walking by the spirit is not something we do in order to get the spirit's help but rather, just as the phrase implies, it is something we do by the enablement of the Spirit. 
The desires of our hearts have to grow to be more in line with what the spirit wants than what the flesh wants. Because as we get to Romans 7, Paul's going to show us this dichotomy, right? We, we still have our sin nature, but we have the indwelling of the spirit. And now there's this wrestle and battle going on within us. And walking in the spirit means I'm choosing to trust in and rest in the spirit and allow those desires to grow. And I'm trying to suppress and devalue the desires of my flesh. So, so what does this look like in the day to day? How do I actually get from where I am to where I need to be? How do I walk in the spirit? Here, here's a couple of ways. It's not an exhaustive list, but a couple of things that I think are, are important for us to consider. The first is this. I think we need to confess. I think that we need to step back and confess that apart from a renewed heart from the Holy Spirit, I can do nothing. Nothing, church. Look at Romans chapter seven, verse 18. I'll prove it to you biblically. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Before the spirit comes in, this is my state. And church, why are we in the depravity of man week after week after week? Well, because Paul is. But why is Paul spending so much of this letter pressing this into us? Because church, we need our pride wrecked. We need to confess the reality of this truth and live in this truth so much so that it wrecks our pride and leads us to God. Because too much we live as if we actually have the strength and ability to carry out this life. And we don't. We believe a lie as we seek to say, I've got this. My strength can carry this out. We've got to press in and lead and learn and drive from the Spirit. But that takes us pausing and confessing and saying, God, I don't, I don't have this on my own. The second thing we need to do is pray because that confession should lead us to God. It should lead us to understanding, you're right, I don't have it on my own. I need your help. We need to pray that God would change our desires from the flesh to the spirit. Pray that God would change our desires from the flesh to the spirit. We need to be praying things like Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. God, change my heart. I can't even do that. And the third thing that we need to do is position ourselves. God has told us how he is going to work. And one of the primary ways that the spirit of God works is through this book. So if we want to say, I want, I want to walk in step with the Spirit, I need to position myself for the Spirit to work. This is why we discipline ourselves, church. Because God has said, this is how I'm going to reveal myself to you. This is how I'm going to help you grow. And so we position ourselves. We walk to the word of God as we seek in devotion. And we say, God, work in me. I want to position myself for you to work and to move in my heart. 
That's why we discipline. It's why we pray. It's why we read scripture. It's why we fast. It's why we give. It's why we do all of the things that we do because we wanna position ourselves for God to work because he has said that is how he will work in our hearts. We have to confess, we have to pray, we have to position ourselves for him to work. Church, we gotta own this. I must live by the Spirit. I must live by the Spirit. It's not by the letter, but by the Spirit. It's not praise from men, but praise from God. Not praise from men, but praise from God. How does Paul end this section? Look at the end of verse 29. Let your eyes fall there. His praise is not from man, but from God. His praise is not from man, but from God. Paul is giving us a major indicator here. How do I know that I'm living by the letter and not by the spirit? How do, we, how do I know that this is outward and not inward? How do I know that this is my flesh and, and not my heart fixed on God? Well, you gotta answer this question. Whose praise am I seeking? Am I seeking God's praise? Or am I seeking man's praise? Do I do the things that I do so other people will notice or do I do the things that I do so I will honor the Lord? Grab your Bibles. Go, go to Matthew chapter six. I want, I want to show you this because Jesus talked about this very concept in Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six, verse one. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. It's a little, little painful. How about verse five? And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. How about verse 16? And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. It's living for the praise of other people. And if you're honest this morning, we all have this struggle. We all have this inner wrestle. You think these thoughts. You know, I, I, I wash the dishes. I really hope that when my wife comes home that she sees that I wash the dishes. Man, I really hope my boss sees all the work that I put into that project. Or you might say it from a more negative perspective. No one cares that I do laundry every day. No one cares I keep the house clean or that I'm running the kids to practice here and there and everywhere. No one cares that I work hard to earn a living for our family to put food on the table. Nobody even cares. It's all the same inner dialogue. I want someone to care. I want someone to notice. And when they don't, I'm frustrated, maybe even angry. 
I respond. I'm distraught. I'm discouraged. I'm despondent because I'm not really working for the Lord. I'm working for the approval and praise of other people. I'm not doing everything for God's glory. I want to be noticed. I want to be seen. I want to be praised. I'm evidencing a heart that is not circumcised. I'm evidencing a life trying to live by the letter of the law and not the Spirit. And church, it's dangerous. Look at Galatians 1 verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You can't be living for the approval of others and living in the spirit at the same time. It's impossible. It's a dichotomy. It's drawing from the wrong source, and it won't bring you what it promises. Sin never does. Sin always leads to death. It never leads to life. Look, people won't praise you as much as you think you should be praised. People will abandon you. People will sin against you. People will even try to do their best to encourage you and praise you, and it still won't be enough. Living for the approval of men is a fleeting leading thing to live for. Think how much you change. Think how much what you want changes. And you want to live for all the things around you of people's approval constantly changing? Or we can press in and try to live a life for God's glory. Try to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to the Lord and get God's praise. And he never changes. He never moves. That's not a moving target. Church, we gotta own this. I must live for God's praise, not man's. Paul's been creating sort of this equation. And I think it's something we need to consider this morning. What does it look like to try to live out the law without the spirit? Well, it looks like this. It looks like external obedience plus the need for the praise of others equals death. Or we can try to live a life of obedience, living out the law with the Spirit, which gives us the internal reality of our hearts growing to love God, internal change. We get praise from God and we get life. This is, the, this is what Paul's laying out for us. but it all comes from where we set our hearts. It all comes from where we turn our desires. Do we wanna live in the strength of our flesh? Or do we wanna live in life through the spirit? Because the spirit is going to point us somewhere. He's gonna point us to the one who truly accepts you and demonstrated that by dying for your sins on the cross. He's gonna lead you to that place. He's gonna remind you of the truth of Jesus. And that is something that will bring you life and sustain you. We gotta drag our hearts there, church. I wanna take a little bit of time and I just wanna receive this in prayer. I wanna give you an opportunity to pray 
over these things in your own hearts where you sit. And the first thing I want you to just think through and pray over is this, God, turn my desires from the flesh to the spirit. Turn my desires from the flesh to the spirit. Let's pray that prayer where we are right now. As you finish thinking and praying through that, transition your heart and your prayer to this. God, help me live for your praise and not the praise of men. It's so easy, so easy for us to want the approval of everyone around us. God, turn my heart to want your praise, not the praise of men. Let's pray that together. God, I pray you would give us a desire to walk in the spirit more than in the flesh. I pray you would give us the strength to wrestle, to position, to position ourselves to see him move and work in our hearts. God, would you help us to live in the reality of just how truly depraved we are and how much we need your help 
and to stop believing the lie that we can do this on our own, that we can do this in our own strength. God, I pray you would help each and every person in this room to feel deeply the love of Jesus, to feel deeply that they are loved and accepted by him as he fully demonstrated for them at Calvary. Would they be so overwhelmed, so enamored with who Jesus is that they would not care what other people think, that they would not live life for the approval and praise of others because they are so overwhelmed with who Jesus is and what he has done for them. Grow that in our hearts. It's what we need. We need to see Jesus more. We need to care what others think less. Start in our hearts. It's in this precious name that we pray. Amen. Thanks, church. Have a great week. You're loved.